We're in Revelation chapter 10, verse 1 through 11. The little book, it's both bitter and sweet. If you would stand for reading of God's word. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heaven and the things that are in it, the earth, the things that are in it, and the sea, the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. This is the word of God. Please be seated. As you know by now, we always mention the theme of the book. The theme of Revelation is Jesus is coming, and we believe that Jesus is coming soon. And I'll tell you, for us, it is sweet. But for the earth dwellers who have rejected and rejected and rejected, it will be bitter. We've covered the first six trumpet judgments in the last couple weeks. And the first four were directed at planet earth. Something that the humans were worshiping. Remember Gaia, G-A-I-A, was the earth god. And humans worshiped the creation over the creator. And that is what God attacked initially with the first four trumpet judgments. The last three were called the woe judgments. And the woe judgments were directed at the person, the physical body of each earth dweller that would stay in rebellion against God. And if you remember, the, the angel Apollyon was, was the, is called the destroyer, the destroyer. And he was in charge of this pit that is going to be emptied. So an angel comes down with the key to the pit, opens the pit, and Ab, 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 Apollyon and his demons then sting like locusts for five months. They, the people cannot die. They are in abject misery. And remember, locusts devour everything in their sight. And this is a terrible sight. They're the size of horses, it says in Scripture. But that's not the worst. And remember, God is giving people a picture here of what hell will be like. Unremittent punishment and torture. It's just a terrible picture. But the people still refuse to repent. And then we have the four angels on, by the Euphrates River that are released. And these four angels release a 200 million, some people say man, I think it's a demonic army, or if it's, it's humans, then they're, then they're possessed by demons. But it's an army that destroys one-third of the earth. And it is so bad that, that again, there's, there's up to this point, four billion people lose their lives on planet earth. Can you imagine the absolute pressure that puts on a human brain? The sadness, the burials that are going on, the mass burials that these people are going to go through. 
And yet the people say something astounding. The earth dwellers say something astounding. But the rest of mankind in 920, who were not killed by the plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons, idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent. They did not repent. They persisted in their sins. And we talked about them falling for the Luciferian doctrine. Remember, Satan masquerades as an angel of light and as ministers of, as ministers of righteousness. He's very slick. He's a deceiver. Jeremiah 5.26 talks to us about these ministers of righteousness, these ones that look like ministers of righteousness. Jeremiah says this, For among my people are found wicked men. They lie in wait as one who sets traps. They catch men. Isn't that what ministers of, of darkness masquerading of righteousness do? Isn't that what the angel of, that masquerades as an angel of light does? He's a deceiver. Now, who will fall for the deception? We've read this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. Those who buy into the lying signs and wonders are those who did not receive of the love of the truth that they might be saved. And so these people buy into the great delusion, the strong delusion. So we start out with a mighty angel that's going to get our attention. A mighty angel that comes right before our face in this scripture in verse 1. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And this is an incredible sight for John. He has seen all kinds of things in heaven, but now he's seeing something that's standing out more. Some people believe that this is, a, is Jesus Christ in his glorified state, and I don't believe that for the following reason. He says, I saw another angel. That another is the word allos, not heteros. Allos means another of the same kind. Heteros would be a different kind. They use the word allos here. This is a mighty angel, but he is spectacular. Never in the book of Revelation is Jesus referred to as an angel. And in verse 6, this angel then gives glory and honor to someone higher than himself and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it. This angel, though mighty and powerful, is deferring glory and honor and praise to the one who did the creation. Now, you know who did the creation. You know, in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It didn't evolve. It didn't just appear out of the, just billions of years, out of, the, out of the mucky murk of whatever was there. No, no, God said, let there be light, and it was light, and so on. That is how the creation occurred. But we also know in Colossians 1.16 that Jesus actually did the creation, for by him all things were created there in heaven and on earth. All things were created through him and for him. This angel is giving glory to the one who created everything, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is an amazing angel. He's clothed in a cloud. Now, this is a heavenly picture. Now, we have no idea what this all means. He's clothed in a cloud. Sounds heavenly, has a rainbow on his head. And immediately when you think rainbow, you're thinking the faithfulness of God that he won't allow the earth to be destroyed again by a flood. Okay? But he is, that was a judgment, by the way. Noah's flood was a global flood, not a local flood, a global flood that destroyed everything on earth except the eight that were in the ark. But there will be a judgment that comes in the future that Jesus will come back and take planet earth. And the face, this angel had a face like the sun, 
feet like pillars of fire. And this, this describes purity and holiness and power. That's how that speaks to me. And I want you to think about something. And when you think about angels, these angels are extremely powerful beings having amazing beauty and incredible intellect, so much so that at least two times in the book of Revelation, what does John do before an angel? He falls on his face to worship them, and they, they immediately say, get up, John, get up, John, don't worship us, you only worship God. That's these angels. But think about this. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9, in our glorified state, what we are going to be once we get to heaven, a state of perfection, we will be greater than the angels. Hear what the writer to the book of Hebrews says. He says this, For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. See, angels were never meant to rule. But one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him. Now, some people think this is speaking of Jesus. I don't think that this is it. I think they're talking about humanity here. People. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. What was Adam and Eve supposed to do? They were supposed to have dominion over the earth, over the works of God's hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. And that's what Adam had before the fall. This is speaking of Humanity, humanity's position, a position that we will reassume in our glorified state, a position of rule. So believers will reign with Christ as our head with delegated authority. Now, are there many people who think that, that you're going to be just like Jesus, and that means you're going to be a God, you're just going to be a little God walking around, having your own space and be your own ruler? No. Jesus is God. We will have delegated authority that he gives us over certain areas, all dependent upon what you do for Jesus Christ here, by the way. Your works are important. Your works are important. You'll be rewarded for that. Believers also will judge angels. Did you know that? And think about it. That's 1 Corinthians 6.3. But I want you to think about something. This might have been something that made Satan or Lucifer very angry and very jealous because God created something that was greater than him. And that might have made him a little bit ticked off precipitating the rebellion in heaven. Believers will judge angels, but you also know that believers will be like Christ. In 1 John 3, 2, in this sense, Beloved, now we are children of God. What a, what a statement. We are children of God. We belong to our God. We're in the family of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Now you realize that, don't you, in your fallen state here. We don't have any idea what we're, it's going to be like, but it's going to be great. What we shall be but what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. That's Jesus Christ. For we shall see him as he is. And that word like is this. It's homios. It means like or similar of the same kind. Now I ask you, who was made in the image of God? Humanity, not the angels. And I think this made Lucifer a little bit jealous. Mankind was created to rule and to serve. Angels were only created to serve. But remember, angels are mind-blowing. Okay, they are incredible creatures, have incredible intelligence, but the highest of God's creation is humanity, made in the image of God. And one day, we're, we're, now we're lower than the angels. 
But one day we will have ruling positions in heaven. The angel had in his hand, and I want you to think about something. In the next verses, we're going to see an open book. An open book. If you remember in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, Daniel was told to seal up the book until a specific time, until the time of the end. And in 12, 9, he repeats that. Seal up the book, Daniel, because Daniel wants to know what's going on. But now this book is open. It's open for everybody to know what is coming. That everybody is to know what God has planned for planet Earth in hopes that people turn to him and live. So in verses 2 through 4, we see the little book that will impact the earth. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and this must be one big angel to do something like, to do the splits on earth. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices, a lot of power and a lot of authority in heaven. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices or sounded their voices, I was about to write. Remember, John had been commissioned to write down what he's seeing. Try to explain what he's seeing. This is the first time he says, oh, don't write it down, John. Don't write this down. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. And for 2,000 years, people have been trying to figure out what these guys were saying. Forget it. You're never going to get it. So the right foot is on the sea, his left foot is on the land, and this angel is saying, the earth belongs to whom? God. The earth belongs to God. Not Satan, not the earth dwellers, not the humanists. It belongs to God. Remember, Satan is a usurper. He usurped authority on planet earth. He deceived his way into power. He's also, as a, Satan is a temporary trespasser. He has temporary limited authority. But think about this. He has limited authority over everyone that is not born again into the kingdom of God. People don't know this, but they are serving Satan if they are not born again. They don't know this. His authority is not over you, the believer. You have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness. You have been brought into the kingdom of light. And he has no rights to you. So don't let him deceive you. Don't fall for his trickery. Never forget who truly reigns. God truly reigns. There's several verses here I'll, I'll share with you. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord in all its fullness. The world who dwells therein. Psalm 83, 18. That they may know. Who is they? all of us that are reading it, that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the high and mighty God, that you alone are the Lord, are most high over all the earth. El Elyon, God most high. And Deuteronomy 10.14 says this, Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord our God, also the earth and things that are in it. The angel setting his foot on the sea. He's setting his foot on the land. And he's telling us today that God rules this whole earth. It is not Satan that is ruling here. He has temporary authority, and that is going to be shortly coming to an end. John heard things that the seven thunders said. He could not record them. Do not write them. 
That was his instruction. But I want to give you just something to think about. God has given us plenty of information to allow us to know him. He's withholding one little thimble full here, at least at this time. So it's God's divine prerogative to withhold what he wants to withhold. But think about this. Deuteronomy 29.29 says this. Some things that God must remain a mystery. That's first of all. But Deuteronomy 29.29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things that are revealed belong to whom? Belong to us. What has he revealed? He's revealed his word from Genesis to Revelation. We have the whole canon of Scripture. We have all of God's Word. That is what He's revealed. Now, do you think that this is everything that you're ever going to know about God? No way. This is all we can take right now. This is it. And we can hardly understand the whole thing, studying it as hard as we can. But we, when we get to heaven, God, it's going, to, it's going to be magnificent. And more on that in just a few minutes. The secret things belong to the Lord. Remember, our God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He has all knowledge. He's omnipresent. He is every place. Remember, David said, if I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. In other words, there's no place that you go that your God is not with you. That's good to know. That is our God. That is our God. There is indeed, folks, much to look forward to. You may as well get used to something. You may as well get used to the mystery of God. Just get used to it for eternity. We will never plumb the depths of God and his mysteries. Although, remember when I always see but a poor reflection in his mirror? Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully as I am fully known. But we all never understand the depths of God through eternity. God has revealed much. God is so vast, we will never, ever, ever exhaust the things that he has prepared for those who love him. Isn't that just great? I'm telling you, I, that is thrilling to me. That is good news to me. Look, there's a lot to look forward to, and our future is exciting. When you think about it, when we pass from here, which is really sad for everybody that sees you go, but it's exhilarating for the person that's going. That's the best trip of your life. Never-ending adventure. Think about this. Never-ending adventure. Never-ending wonder. Never being bored. Always fulfilled. Always joyous. That is God. That is the presence of God. And this angel is telling us something very special that we need to know. That there will be no more delay. We're going, folks. There's not going to be any more delay. We're going to our king. We're going to be with our king. We're going to be with our savior forever. Verse 5 through 7. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hands to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. He's swearing to someone greater than himself. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he was about to sound the mystery of God, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets, the angel swears, no more delay. And folks, that is important because Jesus is coming back to planet earth and he's going to take back planet earth, all of it, all of it. Now there's going to be a little rebellion at the end. 
We know that at the end of the millennium that Satan will be loosed for a short time and he'll deceive the nations as the sand of the sea, but that'll be quickly squelched and he will end up in the lake of fire with all of his followers. But it isn't after God has given so much opportunity for people to turn and live. That is the heart of God. All of these judgments are to get the attention of humanity to turn and live. They don't go down that, that path. There's a day coming, folks, when the seventh angel will sound. And when the seventh trumpet is blown, those bold judgment opens, and that is the end of the whole thing. And I think those things happen right quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, Jesus comes back. Now, what is a mystery? You know by now what a mystery is. It's the truth of God concealed in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament. We have such, such privilege that the Old Testament people didn't have. We have such privilege. We have so much that has been revealed to us. A series of seven climactic judgments, the bold judgments, that will destroy, this, destroy Satan, the man of sin. It wasn't revealed in the, the satanic man. It wasn't revealed in the Old Testament the Antichrist would be destroyed like this. But it is now. Remember, the Antichrist is going to be a schmoozer. He's going to be a, a great world leader. He's going to be a peacemaker at the first. And then his deception will come. In the middle of the tribulation, he'll demand to be worshipped as God and demand that everybody take the mark of the beast. And he turns into a murdering, killing, thieving, lying, satanic proxy. Recall the seal, the trumpet, and the bowl judgments keep getting worse and worse for the earth dwellers. But Jesus is coming to take this planet back. And I please hear this. Sometimes people read this stuff prophetic literature, apocalyptic literature, and they think, oh, how can this ever be? This doesn't seem to make sense to me. It seems to be so extreme. And you'll realize that most people don't teach this because it's difficult to, to process. It is scary to a point. It's unnerving to a point, okay? So most churches re refuse to do this because it's, what, what does American church need? Feel good, pump up sessions, that sort of thing. Folks, we need to know the truth of what's coming. You are seeing this happening right before your eyes today. This will happen. Bible prophecy is true. Remember, think about this. Judaism and Christianity are the only world religions that have contained within their holy book prophecy that has come true. That has come true. Fulfilled prophecy. Something predicted in the past that is fulfilled in the future. The Bible literally has thousands, hundreds and thousands of prophecies. You know how many Islam has? You know the answer. Zero. How many does Hinduism have? Zero. How many does Buddhism have? Zero. You got an A on the test. Look at that. Just say zero. Yeah. They have knows no world religion that has any fulfilled prophecy of Christianity. There's, you know there's been 2,000 prophecies that have been fulfilled up to this point. There's roughly 500 or so that are going to be fulfilled, are being fulfilled now right before our eyes. Only the Bible can claim fulfilled prophecy. Evidence, this is evidence that the Bible is the true word of God. Not the Koran, not the Hindu Vedas and their writings, not what Buddha has written, but what we have contained in our Bible, the prophecy 100% fulfilled gives us validity that this is true. Now think about the odds of these prophecies coming true. Somebody wrote this. One in 2,000 at these prophecies with 2,000 zeros after it. You know, nobody knows what that number is. 
That's an impossible number. So it's impossible for this to just happen by coincidence. Oh, no. But remember this. Also, Satan has his proxies. Satan has his people that kind of fill in and forecast the future. Remember clairvoyants like Gene Dixon, Edgar Cayce, the Long Island medium who are getting inputs from demons and they extrapolate from what has happened to humanity in the past and make educated guesses of what's going to happen. That's what those demons do. They, can't, they don't know the future. They do not know the future. So there's nothing even close to 100% accuracy. If these people are 30 or 40% accurate, it's a miracle. The acid test for a true prophet is 100% correct. That's according to Moses in Deuteronomy 18, 21, and 22. 100% accurate. There's no such thing. Let me just preface this. We have today something called the New Apostolic Reformation that is running through Christendom, where God is raising up apostles and prophets at this end time to be positioned. They have positions of authority and power. Now, Jesus, or Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 that the foundation of the church was built on the apostles and the prophets, Jesus being the chief cornerstone how often do you lay the foundation of the building? One time. So they have what's called prophet schools or schools of healing. And out in California, in Redding, California, with Bill Johnson, they have a healing school that they have over 100 students that have COVID. Sound a little strange to you, does it? And these folks are also the ones that espouse that you can be a prophet in training so that you can hear from God but not be 100% accurate. And all you can say is, it doesn't meet the Moses test, doesn't meet the Bible test. Now, I want to ask you something. Of these prophets that we hear today, how many prophesied COVID-19? Zero. How many prophesied the lawlessness in the streets? Zero. How many prophesied the impeachment of a president? Zero. How many prophesied hurricanes or tornadoes or earthquakes or tsunamis? See, anybody can make a prophecy that say, I think that something's really bad's going to happen in the next three months. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah, we're all right on that one. This great angel in our text today tells us the truth about prophecy and coming events. To some, what is spoken will be sweet but to the majority, it will be bitter. In verses 8 through 11, what is in the little book? When the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Now, picture this. Now, this is an intimidating angel. And John is getting authority from, from somebody speaking in heaven. I imagine it must be God. Take the book out of the hand. So he's waltzing up to this being that's a pretty big being. His, his feet straddle, straddle the whole earth. Give me the book, dude. Give me the book. 
And so he gives them the book, and it's open, okay? So the book the angel carries are the orders from God, I believe, on what will happen soon. It's the last three and a half years that are going to be revealed. It's the rest of the prophetic message that John will record. And what is John to do with this book? He is to consume it, isn't he? He is to take it in. John must consume what he has given, completely consuming it. And I want you to think about eating the Word of God, consuming the Word of God, accepting it, digesting it, meditating on it. As God provided Israel with manna in the wilderness for strength and sustenance, God provides us with his word. Remember the manna they picked it up every day except on Sunday? Okay, they skipped that on the Saturday, or Saturday Sabbath. But the rest of the time, they, they, every day, every day. So we are to be in the word every day. His servants are dependent upon the word also. So we are to study it, read it, meditate on it. What did Jesus say about the word? Thy word, your word I have hidden in my heart. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth in John 17, 17. As we see the day approaching, depend on the word of God. Strengthen yourself in the word. This is, will be a requisite for survival here. You must strengthen yourself in the word of God. John ate the book. He's talking about the last three and a half years, about the awful judgments that are coming. And remember, God is giving a warning for a specific reason. He's telling people, these judgments are coming. Don't be part of it. These judgments are coming. Don't be part of it. Remember, God is merciful. God is merciful. It takes all the way to the end of time before God initiates these judgments. It's the last possible time. It goes to show you the, the mercy of God. Think about this. People throughout the epochs of time must know that Satan will have his last stand, but his last stand will crumble. It will crumble. So do not side with him, even though he looks alluring. Do not take the mark of the beast. Do not fall for the great delusion. Do not fall for the lying signs and wonders. And that's all happens in the tribulation. So I don't think we're going to fall for that. I think we're going to be out of here. But you might fall for this. You may fall for the indoctrination that is occurring in our culture today to a one-world government. That that's the only answer to planet Earth. Remember, cloaked in climate change, cloaked in open borders, cloaked in a one-world currency. We see all of this stuff happening, marching headlong to a one-world government. And always remember, never forget, Satan is masquerades as an angel of light. He is alluring. And we know that sin has pleasure for a season. But the consequences of sin are so much greater than the short-term pleasure. They have consequences. Remember, Satan is a liar. In John 8, 44, he says he's the father of lies. And our world is fueled with Satan's lies. He will promise you a rose garden. And what will he give you? A bunch of weeds and thorns. That is exactly what he'll give you. Promise you the sun. And I'll tell you, you'll get a sunburn that you can't believe. And he'll promise you a future, and you'll end up in eternal hell separated from a God forever. That is a tragedy. Now, let me ask you something that this is important to think about. We are living in uncertain times. Okay, you would agree with that. It's always been uncertain, but it's never been like this. 
you are living in a, in a change in a nation. You're seeing a change in a nation that is also part of a change in the world. Think about it. How to comfort yourself during times of uncertainty. Now, we have what's happening in our culture. You have what's happening in your home. You have what's happening in your life. You have what's happening in your business or your relationships or whatever. In times of uncertainty, what do we do? First of all, consume the word of God. Absolute requisite for survival. And that just consume, but meditate on its precepts. What does it mean to meditate? You chew on it. You go over and over like the cow has several stomachs, okay? And they would chew on it and regurgitate it and chew on it again. Not a pretty sight, but that's what we are to do with the word of God. We are to meditate, chew on it, go over it. And then apply the word to your life. And then by all means, you're living in a culture that, that, that it is pointing at the word of God as not being the truth. Don't believe that. Trust the word of God. It is trustworthy. We've proved that over and over and over again. This is where we are living. We're living in the age of deception. Deception abounds today. It is off the charts. This is not time for soft, emaciated, starved for the word Christians. This is not time for that. Not time for that. The Western church sustained by hype is malnourished and fodder for deception. Now, I have a picture here of a little Pillsbury Doughboy. Now, this is the church today. Now, what happens when you're malnourished? You're not eating the Word of God. You're eating all kinds of stuff. So it's going to be empty calories. It's going to make you soft and pudgy and easily susceptible to deception. This dude right here, this is his best life now. I love it here. It's so great. Give me the health and the wealth. I want it all. Yeah. This is not a new world's coming view. The Pillsbury Doughboy. Tony Garland says this. The healthy saint is not sustained by hype. Did you hear that? The healthy saint is not sustained by hype, be it prophetic or charismatic, but seeks to know Christ through his word and to make him known with compassion and sensitivity. That is what we do. With compassion and sensitivity. We need to take in the word of God. We need to take in the book. And we're going to close with the little book, Bitter and Sweet. And you're thinking, my goodness, Rick, you are way ahead of schedule. Well, hold on. Because <laughs> there's going to be a little bit of a closing here. Now, we are living in a world where the majority despise the word of God. Would you agree with that? That is, I think, that's an agreeable thing. Uh, would you also agree that the majority, at least of the Western church, ignores the Word of God? They'll give you a little tidbit here, a tidbit there, and then a lot of stories and a lot of excitement and maybe some drama and maybe some other things to accentuate and read a little Max Lucado or something, which is good books and that, but it's not the Word of God. So you can use those things, but the focus needs to be the Word. So they've, they've ignored the Word, it's, and, and why do they do that? Because there's been this lie that has been promoting that God's word is boring. It's boring. That doctrine. The, the doctrine. You guys teach doctrine? You know, all doctrine is is teaching. That's what the word means. Doctrine, teaching. And that is boring. Folks, the word is bitter to these folks. Bitter to them, but it is sweet to us. 
And I want to ask you a question. As you've lived through your lifetime, and you've lived through a lot, if you've lived in the last 30 years, you've lived through a lot of change. So it's just about everybody here. What in the world is going on? And Roy put me onto this when we were at our retreat. The wiles of the devil. And J.D. Frag went, wiles, wiles, wiles. And I said, I'm stealing that. Wiles of the devil. Wiles of the devil. Satan's strategy is time-tested wiles. Ephesians 6.11, stand against the wiles of the devil, the methodia of the devil, the deception of the devil. Remember, the devil is diabolos. What does that mean? He's a slanderer. He is an accuser. He is a deceiver. Diabolos. What is his schemes? Deception number one. And tell me if he doesn't use this in your life, discouragement. See, right now, there's an element of, of maybe a little bit of discouragement because we have this politics that is going on, and we're going, oh, no, what happens if, so, if, if Biden gets elected? I can't believe what's going to happen. Oh, no, or Trump gets elected. Okay, we've got to be fair with this. What happens if these people get, don't, don't worry about it. God raises up, God brings down. It is not a, up, it's not for us to worry about this. Discouragement, and then division. He's an expert at division. He divides bodies of Christ. You've seen, you've seen church splits. If you've been in Christianity any time at all, you have been in a church split. You have been in a Sunday school split. You have been in a, in a youth group split. You've been in, he is a master at division, but also in families. You've seen families fall apart with division. You've seen relationships between brothers and sisters fall apart. He is a master. He's always at work. Whenever you see chaos of this quality, of this kind, always think, Demonic realm involved. Always think that. He's a deceiver. And I want you to also think about this. The government wants to become your God. Little g. Do you think that's true? I think it is. For you to be dependent on the government God and worship the government God. For the government God to thrive, what must happen? You have to get rid of the true God. Are we seeing that today? Christians must be silenced. Remove the true God. Christ out of the public domain. And we've gone through this many times. We know that prayer was taken out of school in 1962. We know the Bible was taken out in 1963. And we know that the Ten Commandments were taken out of the public view, or at least the government, although it still is in, is in Congress and that sort of thing but it has been taken out of many places. And with that void of God, what has come in? Metal detectors, Columbine, death, destruction, indoctrination to a worldview that is in line with the, with the globalists. That is what came into our schools. You took God out, and within 50 years, everything changed. Everything changed. Even to the point when I pledge allegiance to the plague, uh, to the flag of the United States of America, one... Under God, that's what I'm getting to. Under God, we've taken that out. Or they want to take it out. What has happened to America? You have to get rid of the true God. Their goal is to eliminate biblical Christianity. Eliminate, you can have your, your state church. See, they have a state church in Russia. They have a state church sanctioned in China. They even have state churches in other, even in some Islamic, they, they allow you to have these things in the more liberal Islamic countries. 
But you cannot have a remnant true church. You cannot have a, a grounded in the word church. That's too big of a, of a threat. Diedrich Bonhoeffer faced this with, fa with the fascists in Germany in World War II. He was one of the few pastors that stood. There were several other than him, but he stood. He was in prison and he was killed. But think when Mao took over in China. Do you know that there were, there were tens of thousands of Christians killed? When, when Lenin took over, or when Stalin took over in Russia, and Lenin took over in Russia, excuse me, Lenin, that there were Christians that were slaughtered. They will accept no other God but the government God. Now, what you are seeing today is the government God trying to take over America, and you're feeling the pressure as Christians is what they want to do to real Christians. What is a true church? What is a remnant church? And I say, it's a few. It's a few. It's never the majority. It's always a few. And it's a church that still teaches the Bible as the inerrant, infallible word of God. The whole counsel of God from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, you get the good, the bad, and the ugly of Scripture. There are some things in there that are just tense. Judgment is tense. Most people don't want to talk about it. It's too tense. It's too disturbing. But we need to know what is coming. God commands us to know. What we face today is an ideology that affects much of our world, and that is godless Marxism, where mankind reigns supreme, where humanism floats to the top. God must be exited. Christianity must go for Marxism to flourish. And this is not new. How do I know that? Because I've read God's word. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 11, to the Tower of Babel, to a man named Nimrod, who wanted to build a tower, a ziggurat. And it was to worship the false gods of the creation, the false gods that have come into his life. But there's also a postulate that Nimrod and his hubris in his arrogance, wanted to build this ziggurat so high that if God were to have another flood, they would be safe on the heights of the ziggurat. Isn't that the epitome of stupidity? I mean, you think God cannot flood higher than your ziggurat? Give me a break. Christianity must go. Back to Genesis. Nimrod wanted to change his world. Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel in Genesis chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. And the Tower of Babel is Genesis chapter 11. What was the Tower of Babel all about? What was it about? It was about this. And make no mistake, it was about a one-world government being run by man and not by God. That's what it was about. Ignoring God running the world his way. And let me ask you, does that sound familiar? I think it might. A one-world government movement started early. This has always been Satan's goal. Now, God didn't allow it to happen then. Remember, he came down and he messed up the languages and they had to be distributed. Remember, they went into different people groups. There were borders. God is for borders, by the way. Okay, something to remember. But he will allow this one-world government to, to come to fruition in the future. And we right, I believe we're right on the precipice of this. And for that to happen, something has to happen to America. And you are seeing it happening before your eyes today. 
you are studying Bible prophecy. You're, you're some of the few. And you know what is coming. You know not to fall for the lies. Most Americans and our world are oblivious to what really is going on because they're not really into the prophetic word. They don't read apocalyptic scripture. What we are seeing today is an all-out push to change not only America, but the entire world. And it isn't just isolated to world leaders. Think about this. There are religious leaders that are promoting this change too. I have a couple. Pope Francis does this. He pushes a globalist communism as a solution for COVID-19 pandemic in his latest encyclical, October 5th, 2020. Now, what is an encyclical? An encyclical is a papal letter to the bishops. So he sends this letter to the bishops, and then they send it down to the church. And there the church is being taught that Marxism is the way to go and redistribution of wealth and that sort of thing, and capitalism has to go, and it's one of the problems for COVID and that sort of thing. But it's not just him. Protestants are in on the fix, too. Many have jumped on the bandwagon. We even have evangelicals promoting the social gospel in, over, in this election cycle, over abortion as being one of the big things that we're concerned about. The killing of 60 million-plus babies is secondary to the social gospel and redistribution of wealth and power and position and that sort of thing. Now, should we help people? Yes, we should. But not to the, not to the divorcement of the, of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, which really changes lives. Which really changes lives. Let me ask you this question. Are we really seeing end-time events today as depicted in the Bible? Are we really seeing this? How do we know this? Well, consider the following. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 12. Lawlessness will abound and the love of many will grow cold. Now, I mention that and people always say, well, Rick, that's been going on all since the beginning of time. And I say, yes, that is true. But has there ever been a time where the government sanctioned or condoned the lawlessness that was going on. We have governors, we have mayors, we have city council members that are sanctioning it. This never happened in the past. In any culture, in any culture, it is happening in America today. It's supported by the government. Hear the words of Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Consider these things. Does this look familiar? And we've been through these verses before. Hear this. Men will be lovers of themselves. Now, that's nothing strange. But let me ask you this. Have you ever been, seen a generation that took so many selfies? Look at me. Have you ever had a generation that had so much information about themselves on Facebook? All about me world. There's never been one like this. Never. How about proud blasphemers, speaking evil of God, openly degen... De, de, I had the word denigrate. Denigrate. Oh, that's it. Denigrate the true God. Thank you. Thank you, brain. Thank you, Lord. And his people. Disobedient to parents. That's always going on. Unthankful, unholy, and unloving. But there has been something that has happened today that the disobedient to parents has now crescendoed into the government now and allowing you to parent the way that the Bible says you should parent. That it's, that it's good to discipline your child while they are young. 
Sometimes that might mean a swat on the butt or something, but that's like condemned now. You have abused your kid, and you might have to give that child up to the state. Let the state raise your child. See, the state wants to raise your child. They want you in public school to be indoctrinated into that whole worldview that is anti-God. That is what is going on. Without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Are we seeing that in spades? And then how about this one? Having a form of godliness and denying its power. How many people have you spoken to that says, I'm spiritual? I, I, I believe there's something out there. I'm spiritual. Think Oprah. Think about who appears on Oprah's show, Chopra. You ever hear this guy named Chopra Deepak or whatever this guy's name is? New age guy. All of them pointing to, we're evolving into our better self. All evolving into our better self. You know what scripture says? From such people turn away. You know what that means to me today? Don't watch the view. <laughs> From such people turn away. I'm not kidding you. You are getting poisoned by this stuff. We are being poisoned by this stuff. Turn away. We are to get the leaven out of the house for your own home because leaven is sin and leaven is a picture of sin and it always spreads. You know it always spreads. And not only leaven out of the house, but we need to get leaven out of the nation. That's what the Jews had to do, what the people of Israel had to do. Folks, this describes our day in spades. Indoctrination is the methodology. And media, government, education, your workplace, Hollywood, sports, all of them are in on the fix. Everybody's in on the fix. And capitulation is the goal to the one world agenda. Nothing contrary to the governmental views is acknowledged. Remember YouTube and Facebook. If you have some scientist, and I'm telling you, there's been people from Stanford, people from Harvard, people from Yale that have been censored on these forms because they've had a contrary view of this virus. From masks to treatment to isolation, that sort of thing. They are, they are stopped. This is Pravda. You know what Pravda is? That's the newspaper in Russia where you have a controlled media. Now, those are controlled by the government. This is self-controlled. This is within the country itself. It isn't the government promoting it, but they're not insisting on it. It's these people been raised up in these educational systems. They bought into this whole Marxist thing. And now they're in charge. They're in the media today. Remember, there's three stages of persecution. Disinformation, discrimination, and persecution, full capitulation, full giving in. Important things here. Now, I want to ask you this. When you give a talk like this right now, are you feeling peppy? Is this your best life now? Huh? Is it? Yeah. Are you feeling a little tense? I'm feeling a little tense. Let me tell you that. I, I'm teaching this stuff. It's important. Now, they had a commercial about Alka-Seltzer years ago. It says, relief is just a swallow away. And sometimes you need a little relief from this stuff. Remember what this jingle would go? Down, 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 the stomach through. Round, 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 the system too. With Alka-Seltzer you'll always say, relief is just, boom, a swallow away. And let me tell you, relief is just a swallow away when you take in the Word of God. That's what you need. Are you feeling a little uneasy by what's going on in our world? Just swallow the word of God. 
Take in the word of God. That is what we need to do. What are we to do in this environment? When we get negative stuff like this, or negative news, what are we to do? Are we to panic? Are we to live worried? Are we to bury our heads in the sand? Now, this is a technique that, that I would be very inclined to do. I'm not here. It's not having to be the three monkeys. Okay, see no... Yeah, bury your head in the sand. Pretend that it's not happening. Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Give in to what the majority are doing. And I would say a resounding no. No. Listen to this statement. And this is true. You know how I know this is true? I'll tell you. And you're going to know that I'm right. It is doubtful that the majority are ever right, ever correct. Now, how do I know that? How do I know that? Because the majority are in the kingdom of darkness, led by the kingdom of darkness, taking on the kingdom of darkness's characteristics. That's the majority. And let me also tell you this. God does not care a hoot about the polls. Take a poll. Take a poll. How to build a church. Take a poll. He doesn't care about that. He's put it in his word what he wants us to know. What, what are we to do? Well, there's some scripture here that might help you. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, you know this is one of my favorites. Watch. Watch what is going on around you. Don't be blind. Stand fast in the faith. And then be brave. Be strong. Let everything that you do be done in love. We have a love message to give the world. And then Jude 3 says this, contend earnestly for the faith. You know what that is? You fight for the faith. You don't just capitulate. You just don't give up and say, oh, it's a lost cause. No way. And then number three, do not be moved by the culture, by the majority, by the polls. Be like Daniel. Refuse to be in doctrine. Remember Daniel 1.8? Daniel purposed in his heart. You have to do this. Purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies. He would not defile himself with the indoctrination of the Babylonians to him. He said, no. He, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no. And they were a few in the midst of many. A few. He did not compromise. He did not cave. Even when facing the lion's den... He did not cave. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow to the idol, and they went into the fiery furnace. Don't cave. And then number four, be an ambassador for Christ. That's what we are. Stand up. Stand up for your faith. Stand out in the culture. Be different than everybody else around you. Don't blend. Peer pressure is real, and peer pressure is hard, folks. But we are to stand up and stand out for our God. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And in the age of deception, folks, number five, be a Berean. Now you're listening to me teach, okay? You have a responsibility to check out what I'm teaching. Don't ever believe what I'm teaching. I mean, I get all kinds of buzzes. I didn't get any today, but you know, me, that's wrong. Or corrections from the back. Hey, you missed that one. That is what you are to do. Be a Berean. Search the scriptures. Compare everything with scripture. Acts 17.11. And then Hebrews 10.25. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We need one another. What did he say? Even more as we see the day approaching. Hey, get into home groups. Come to church. Be together. 
Be involved. So many people say, well, I, I'm just not getting a whole lot out of this. Well, put something into it. If you put something in, you'll get something out. Be involved. We need one another. Encourage one another. Folks, remember this. United we stand, divided we fall. And I was going to sing that song. United we stand, but I didn't have time for that. So. There was actually a song like that in the 70s. It was a good song. Now remember this, at times like these, with all this turmoil and change, there's a lot of change going on in our lives. Remember this, you are not alone. And I want you to say something right now. Say this, I am not alone. Say it again, I am not alone. Your shepherd is with you. Lean on him. And sometimes, don't you just feel this, you just need a great big giant Jesus hug. A big giant Jesus hug. And you, you can't see this, but this guy is kind of collapsing on Jesus. It's just like he's had all he could take. In. Oh, and Jesus will hold you. He'll lift you up. He'll give you a great big Jesus hug. And then hold on to the promises of Scripture. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never, never, never. And then the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 28, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age or to the end of the world. And remember this, you are precious to God. He loves you immensely. Not just a little bit, immensely. God has you in the palm of his hand, Isaiah 49, 16. You are his family. You are his children. You are the bride of Christ. You are the people of God. And there was a song a long time ago. You are the people of God called by his name, washed in the blood, delivered from shame, one holy race, saints everyone, because of the blood of Christ, Jesus the Son. Folks, we need our shepherd to calm us. His presence in the turmoil is worth everything. The 23rd Psalm starts out, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. That is my shepherd. In the midst of the changing world, listen for the shepherd's voice. Get a hug from Jesus. And remember, Jesus told us, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and, and, they, and none of them shall perish. What an encouragement. John receives an open book. This thing is in process. Nothing will stop Jesus from accomplishing what he said he's going to accomplish. Folks, the king is coming. The book is open. This stuff is happening right before our eyes. Believe it. And tell people the love story of Jesus. That's what we can do. There are still people that will hear. Still people that God is working on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Even sections like this that are difficult and strenuous and hard and all of that, Lord. Judgment and all these things that are happening. And it just gets worse with the bold judgments. Uh, Lord, help us. First of all, help us to rightly divide your word. Help me to do that and every teacher that has that responsibility. But then again, Holy Spirit, help us to hear what you want us to hear. You speak to people individually. And I ask that you would speak to each one of our hearts. 
that we get something out of this special for us. You speak and your servants hear. Thank you again for this time to study the inerrant, infallible word of the living God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.